Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for the UFC 292 preview show here on IMC Live. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Cliff Clavin to my Norm Peterson. It's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here. I'm very glad, and I'm saying this in honor of our mates over at OSW, Old School Wrestling Reviews, that I'm glad to be here as the Scott Steiner to your Booker T in the main event mafia. I will approve. Do I have to speak yeah. with an African accent? I mean, no, but I get to say there's nothing finer than hanging out with Joe Neal. So. I wonder why you <laughs> went that way then. Yes, thank you very much for joining us here at UFC 292, where you can expect another two hours of random wrestling references, uh, talking about um, internet shows that we've cameoed on. But most of you here are here to listen to us talk about the upcoming UFC pay-per-view, which will be taking place in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, so it's our first card in Boston since 2019, which was the fight night between Dominic Reyes and Chris Weidman. Weidman will be appearing on this card. We'll be getting to him a little bit later on in the show. And our last pay-per-view since UFC 220, when Stipe Miocic defended his heavyweight title against Redacted. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, like the... The erasing of Francis Ngannou was already started by the UFC. They are so petulant about stuff like this. I, I think uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, next big heavyweight fight, they go the hardest hitter to ever be in the octagon. And it's like, guys, I just watched Jackass 4, and that Ngannou was talking about how hard he hit. <laughs> well, I saw it on the uh, fight night card yesterday. I think uh, Chukwi was competing on the card, and the graphic came up. First and only Cameroonian fighter in UFC history. Oh, so there is a complete ridiculous. erasing of him going on now. And, and Pua Sokaju as well. He was like years before him too. Yeah, they, they got him just as a casualty. Oh no. He caught a stray one, Sokaju. That's not fair. So, as mentioned before, we are in Boston here. Now, Boston has played host, I think, to about five or six UFC cards over the years. Any sort of Boston memories for you over the years, Joe? I think uh, I, I always liked, what's it called? I think it was the Shogun Chill Sonnen card, I believe. But I remember Joe Lozon fighting Michael Johnson and... The table I was at, because I watched it at like a sports bar, the table I was with was like, Joe Lozon, he's going to win in one round. And I'm like, I like Joe Lozon too, but he struggles against Southpaws. And then it was a three-round shellacking for Michael Johnson. And I remember just going, I, I'm sorry, guys, don't look at me. I didn't want Joe Lozon to, to lose. <laughs> That's one of my big memories. And, uh, of course, I feel like whenever anyone fights there, it's legally required to have at least two or three guys come out to, to dropkick Murphy's you know, shipping out to Boston, which I like that song. So, Wasn't that the same card with uh, Travis Brown head kicking over it? Yes, it was. I think it was, like, I think it was the, the third Fox card, but I think it was like one of the first times they were like, let's treat this as like a, a B plus or a B tier main uh, pay-per-view card. You know, like honestly, they treated it pretty well. The reason a lot of people are so hung up about the Apex cards these days and like the quality is that you go back and you look at those early Fox cards in terms of star power, they did treat them really well. And all fans want these days. I understand there's more events and things get watered down a little mm -hmm. bit, but you want to make a big deal about these sort of high-end TV cards, and they just don't do that these days. 
Yeah, my I had, I had a like I, I told you before, you know, I had some friends over tonight because uh, it's 5 a.m. where I'm at. But uh, I had some friends over tonight and they were saying like, uh, oh, is there fights every weekend, basically? Because they always whenever they come by on Saturdays, they always see we have fights on. And we're like, yeah, like basically. And he goes, that's probably a good thing. And I went, eh, not really. <laughs> I mean, uh, the product gets watered down with, uh, you know, not everyone is a world-class fighter. And um, and it's just kind of how it is. Uh, I also think, you know, matchmaking's at fault. Once again, putting in my, my resume for taking over Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby's jobs, I think I do a fantastic job. And we bring up the conversation when it comes to uh, somewhat watered-down cards. When we talk about UFC 293, we finally have a main event lined up for that one. The consensus always was going to be that Israel Adesanya was going to defend his belt in Australia. Obviously, being a Kiwi fighting mm. Australia, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people believed it was going to be Drickus Duplessis because he beat Robert Whittaker. Drickus, unfortunately, has an injury, isn't able to make the turnaround. Sean Strickland gets the call. Where do you stand on that one, Joe? Um, I actually talk about it on the recap show, so I don't mind. But I don't mind talking about it here. Is uh, I <clears throat> might I think it's weird, but at the same time, I started kind of justifying it for myself as it would be really awkward if we went to Brazil and it's like, what's the main event in Brazil? Leon Edwards and Baleo Muhammad. And then like we go to London and it's like, well, who's fighting in Brazil? Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Uh, you know, it's like, I feel like, you know, if you have the opportunity, you have a fighter from a, a different country and you're going to do a pay-per-view in that country, you probably want them headlining it. So I, I feel like the logical step in most of these cases is to wait for DDP. But because they're in Australia, you, you kind of have to, it, it makes sense to have you know, Sean Strickland, I guess, step up in, are even you, though that doesn't make too much sense wise. Are you giving Strickland any chance at all? Um, I think he's going to knock him out at the press conference in terms of uh, to the trash talking. How about that? I'll, uh, I, I, maybe my mind will be changed by the time we do the preview show there. I, you know, and I'll, actually, Carl, I can't spoil my thoughts yet. We haven't done the 293 preview show yet. No, we haven't, no. And that will be coming up in a few weeks' yeah. time. So we've got all that <laughs> to uh, wait for. But now, though, we are going to be talking about UFC 292. And we're going to start with the prelims. You can see those on your screen right now. Now, not much in terms of sort of big star power when it comes to names, except for the big name right there at the top of the screen. So after two and a half years away, after suffering arguably one of the most brutal injuries ever in the UFC octagon, Chris Weidman is back. He's going to be taking on Brad Tavares, who for a long time has been considered the sort of middleweight gatekeeper. Uh, two questions for you mm-hmm. regarding this, Joe. One, where do you stand on Chris Weidman coming back at all, bearing in mind his injury and the fact that he's getting up there in years? And two, is Brad Tavares a good litmus test to see whether Weidman still has it? I think for the second answer, because that's shorter, I think he, I think Tavares is a good litmus test. For the first part, it's a little complicated. I personally love Chris Weidman. I think he's really fun to watch fight. I, you know, I mean, he helped me look really smart and nearly win some money. If you've watched the retro reviews, you know what I'm talking about. And please watch but, the uh, retro reviews. Uh, nobody else does. Yes. 
Oh, they're so awesome. I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm in them. I mean, I, I mean, I definitely help though. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I think Chris Weidman's awesome. I, I, I genuinely really like him, and his kind of downfall has been kind of hard, especially because a lot of it is just damage he accumulated in that set in that rock old fight. I think personally, but I think a lot of it is also like age, like father time is just catching up with him. You know, uh, he may still be our boy, but father time has kind of looking down on him. And uh, I, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, win or lose this fight. And I think he would have been a hot first ballot Hall of Famer if he didn't come back at all. And I think we all would have understood. So I, I, I'm kind of torn, like as much as I want to see him, probably shouldn't see him anymore. Do you think the part of Weidman coming back is it's almost sort of like a personal goal? Because I'm personally of the belief that win or lose, he's going to retire. Uh, especially if he loses. But even if he goes out on a win, you just think to himself, I think the goal for Chris Weidman was to come back full stop. I don't think he wanted people's last memory of him in the octagon to be him breaking his leg off Uriah Hall's shin in 15 seconds. Yeah, it's... I definitely could see that, you know? I mean, if he does, I mean, like, what a... You know, if he comes back regardless, win or lose, that's a crazy journey to be in, you know? Like, that's a crazy one. At the time, I never... You know, you never really think about... Like, I feel like that's one something, like, historically we haven't really thought about. But, like, there's that crazy picture of Weidman, Anderson, Connor, and John Jones... And it's like, well, three of the four guys in there have broken their leg in the cage, basically. Um, so the fact that I don't think Connor's going back ever, admittingly, but um, like Anderson came back, that's, you know, that's already impressive, uh, even if that fight wasn't very good against Nick Diaz. But I mean, I'm I'm going to be, I could definitely see that because that's, you know, this is a former champion, the guy who finished Anderson Silva and ended the reign who dethroned the king for so long. He probably wants a good final memory for his legacy. Looking down the rest of the card here, the other big interesting thing about the 292 prelims is it's going to serve as the finale for the Ultimate Fighter. So there's one fight which has already been confirmed. So Austin Hubbard will be taking on Kurt Hollibar. Uh, Brad Katona is also in the final. He's going to find out his bantamweight opponent on Wednesday. Um, where do you stand on the Ultimate Fighter in sort of twenty twenty three? Do you think it still serves a purpose for the UFC? I feel like I feel like all they did it for this one was I think them bringing Connor back was like a PR move to try and get people to tune in so they can make that money, and it also hyped up a fight that's never happening as far as I'm concerned. Sadly, um, I. Uh, so I think in their mind, it's serving a purpose of building up hype for like a, a potential Connor return. Um, but I, I think in terms of, I, in my opinion, the Ultimate Fighter first and foremost is uh, like a two part like product. You, you wanted to build up a fight, and so we can scout and showcase the next level of talent or the next you know stage of talent coming into the UFC. Um, Because there's a lot of guys who didn't win tough and maybe not even made it to the finals that have had a great career in the cage. Like Brad Tavares, we just talked about, was one of those guys. Neil Magny, we're going to talk about later, one of those guys. And um, so 
like it, it's it's great knowing who they are and getting some name value off of them. But sadly, the contender series is just so much better at churning out guys. And I hate saying this for way less money. And uh, I, I don't understand from their point of view if they why they see the Ultimate Fighter being worth it. I feel like this is a Dana White like not wanting to admit something one of his like brain childs is dying off and like kind of an ego thing maybe, but I, I don't know. I, that said, I am actually excited for the Austin Hubbard, Kurt Holobaw fight. Cause I, I love Austin Hubbard. He's so much fun to watch in there. And I think Brad Katona as well. Like I've been quite vocal yeah. in saying that I thought Brad Katona was very harshly cut by the UFC. But he's what two and yeah, two. Super harsh. And one of them, one of those losses was against Marab. And there's no mm-hmm. shame in losing to Marab, who I, I personally think that we're looking at him as a future champion. Yeah, I think Marab uh, probably ties both guys in the main event and not, maybe not so much one of them, but like Marab is definitely the number two guy in that division, it seems like for sure. Anybody else who takes but, your interest on the uh, prelims? I think oh, there's always G3, which is your boy. My He's boy, always a G3. Yeah, and RoboCop, Gregory Rodriguez, he's always pretty fun. Yeah, I expect him to beat uh, Tululi quite comfortably. Um, I'm also going to give a shout-out to the uh, Flyweight fights. They're going to be opening up the card, in particular Natalia Silva. I have been very impressed with her Mm. recently. Um, Only one loss since 2016, which came against Marina Rodriguez as a strawweight. So she hasn't lost since she moved up to Flyweight. She's taking on Andrea Lee. I think this is... Now, I did curse myself because I really bigged up... Um, um, oh, I forgot her name now. Yasmin? <laughs> uh, yeah, Yasmin. Um, big time yeah. on uh, one of the uh, preview shows recently, and she got plotlined in about 20 seconds. So I am possibly putting a curse it on happens. her. But no, Natalia Silva, based on what I've seen so far, a lot of upside. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely could see that as well. Always, uh, always be on the lookout for fights like that, especially... Uh, like, I don't think Andrea Lee is necessarily great or, you know, she. I don't think she's great necessarily, I will say. So, but she's a name. So that's going to be a big help, I think. A solid hand. Yes. She's and on... a marketable hand. Yep. Sadly, um, you know, it's kind of part of it. It's she's sort of like, we always like to throw in ref- wrestling references here. It's like, she's sort of like X-Pac or Val Venus. They'll carry you to a mm. decent match. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Valvinus. I hear that name. I only think of one thing happening, and that's the power going out. I usually you know, think, you know. I usually think of uh, Kai and Tai. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm referencing. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the power going out and some well-timed. We are uh, going to try and keep this PG, so we'll leave it there. Yeah, Simpsons level is what we were at. Sadly, the Attitude Era was way past the Simpsons. So fight number one, we're going to be opening up the main card in the Bantamweight division, and it's a battle of top 10 contenders, as Marlon Chito Viva, the number six seed, is going to be taking on the number nine seed, Pedro Munoz. Now, the bookmakers' odds for this one have Chito at minus 185. You can get Munoz at plus 155. So for Chito, it's a chance for him to get back on the saddle after losing to Corey Sandhagen. What's quite interesting to note, though, bearing in mind the main event, these are two guys with Sean O'Malley connections. Cheeto Vera being the only guy to beat Sean O'Malley, and Pedro Munoz, who had that no contest against him, in a fight that many believed that Munoz was winning before the stoppage. 
Do you think the UFC have done that yeah. intentionally or is it just coincidence? I think it's a little bit of both. I'm sure someone probably realized that. I think it was a coincidence at first I could see. And then they went, oh, hey, actually, look what we did here. Um, I think more likely how this was booked is Pedro Munoz is still a pretty good name and uh, pretty pretty well known talent in the division. And I think they're kind of hoping Cheeto Vera gets back on that, you know, momentum horse. Cause I mean, I don't think there's any shame in losing Corey Sanhagen at this point. Uh, dude had a torn tricep and, you know, forced Dana White. He knocked out Dana White, basically forced him to leave in the middle of the, of the fight. That's a win in my book. Uh, but, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I, you know, Sand, Sandman's awesome. So I don't, think there's any shame in getting smoked and one judge weirdly thought he won that fight <laughs> i just remember that but i mean in munoz you know he's still clearly you know got some gas left in the tank despite his age uh, i i think they probably booked it as to give cheeto a a decent challenge but one they probably fully expect to you know continue and get get that momentum back because i think cheeto vera was super marketable for them like with his like just run of mauling guys' faces and stuff. And just you know, we got the head kick over Cruz last year. He so. did. And that was that was it never got many mentions. That in my opinion was one of the best knockouts of the year. Oh yeah. It was insane. And Cruz was winning that fight early on. For most of that fight he was winning, I thought too. So we'll talk about Marlon yeah, Cheeto and Beaver in a little bit more detail here. So a twenty and eight record. So it does look a little bit uh, deceptive. A lot of people will see those eight losses and think, is this guy really that good? A lot of those came early in his career and he's mm. still, what, 29, 30 years old? So he's still comparatively young for an MMA fighter. Uh, so some of his notable wins include uh, Dominic Cruz, as we talked about there, Rob Font, Frankie Edgar, mm -hmm. Davy Grant, the Sean O'Malley win, as we mentioned before, and also some of the uh, veteran fighters, Brian Kelleher and uh, Brad Pickett. So his four-fight winning streak was snapped by Corey Sandhagen last year. A big question mark when it comes to Cheeto Viva is, yes, he had the winning streak. Yes, he's got wins over a lot of big names. But they're big names who were arguably past their prime at the time they fought him. Is this a guy being in the right place at the right time? Or is there like a genuine world-class talent? I think it's a mix of both. I, I think I think Cheeto Vera is an interesting commodity in the, the bantamweight division as he's a guy with mega one-shot power. Like, he clearly, tons of finishes, a great kicker, great knees, elbows, and punches, very good striker. Um, he just, like, and that's not, like, usually seen too often at uh, 135. Like, there's a couple of guys like that, one of them in the main event that I think is pretty similar to that. But, like, if you look at some of, like, the names on his list, I I don't... I mean, Dominic Cruz, I still think, had some gas in the tank. He just got caught by Cheeto. Because I thought Dominic Cruz was doing pretty well in that fight. But then, like, everyone else on it, the only one you can really say is, like, Frankie Edgar, who retired pretty pretty shortly after that. Like, last year, earlier this year. Or last year, I think. And it's, like, the only one. I think Rob Front. Rob Font, that's a great win. Uh, Jose Aldo, he lost a decision where he was out grappled, but forcing Aldo to grapple with you is pretty impressive, I think. And who's an incredible grappler? 
Sean O'Malley. Don't care. Sean O'Malley lost that fight. I don't care what he thinks. <laughs> Sean O'Malley lost that fight. He got smoked. Um, but Davy Grant, super underrated win. My I boy. Uh, I think that's – yeah. Davy Grant is is a guy who could probably fight Marab tomorrow and give Marab like a pretty hard go, I think. That's just a guy – he's just that kind of guy. He's like Nate Landwehr. Nate, Wan- La- Nate, Nate Landwehr could fight anybody and make it a tough one. And I think Davy Grant's in a similar position. So I think that's a great win, admittingly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Rob Font one has aged pretty well, I think, admittingly, too. Uh, he's just kind of weird. You know, Cheeto is kind of weird. He's infamous for only fighting the last 15 seconds of a round <laughs> and of winning fights because of it. And it's kind of awesome and kind of infuriating if you're a fan of Cheetah like I am. It's really infuriating seeing him like, what are you doing? You're just letting Rob Font tee up on you. Is that a hook kick? And then, all right, time to him just take over the rest of the fight because of that hook kick. You know, it's just kind of, it's kind of frustrating. But, uh, I mean, Not- he, he's a commodity. And I think, I think him being in the right place at the right time definitely shows that he, you know, definitely hurts him. But I think he is in that top five range, probably. And that has been one of the big criticisms that some people have had about Cheeto, which is sometimes he does have a lack of volume. And I think the Rob Font fight Mm -hmm. is, I think if you need a fight that encapsulates Cheeto Viva, it's the Rob Font fight. Because we have a guy who remains quite patient throughout. And for, what, four-fifths of that fight, Rob Font is teeing off on him. Rob Font's easily going to Mm -hmm. claim that round for himself. And then he lands the big strike, drops Font, and that's enough to sort of swear the judges. And it ends up being this quite one-sided victory at the end of it because Pichito just carries that power. Um, I'm similar to you. I think that one of his biggest weapons is his kicks. And not just the power in his yeah. kicks, but the diversity of... It could be like low kicks. He likes to go up top, as we saw with Frankie Edgar, unfortunately. Um, I think he's good in the clinch as well, using his elbows. It's a very sort of... It's a very blunt force approach that Cheeto takes in these fights. He's got that LA Knight, yeah, BFT, blunt force trauma, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got, you know, he's got the shoes of a champion, the jacket of a champion, the jacket of a champion. Uh, <laughs> I love throwing in wrestling references. <laughs> I. I usually do them to see if I can get a pop out of you. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I'm being really funny if I can make you laugh. So I, I love it. You make it seem as if I have no sense of humor. I mean, you're right. You have a great still. sense of humor. You, you have a great sense of humor, but uh, maybe, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it's my my American brain. I, I usually assume English. They're very funny people, but they're really hard to make laugh. You know, that's because like Simon Pegg. Apparently, he's really hard to make laugh. So I was like, this is a challenge for me, <laughs> being a small boy from Oklahoma. Uh, so but, we speak about um, kicks, and that brings us quite nicely onto mm-hmm. Pedro Munoz, the king of the kicks uh, to a lot of people. So 20-7 and seven record. He is also back on a winning streak after uh, beating Chris Gutierrez, and that was on the April card, uh, Holloway and Arnold Allen. So along with Gutierrez, he also holds wins over Jimmy Rivera, Cody Garbrandt, uh, Brian Caraway, and also beat Rob Font early on in his career. But what's more noticeable with Pedro Munoz? It's not who he's beaten, it's who's beaten him. I've got a list here of some of the guys that have beaten him in his career. Rafael Asuncao, 
Jimmy Rivera in the first fight, John Dodson, Aljamain Sterling, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldor, and Dominic Cruz. That is a who's who of some of the best bantamweights and flyweights in UFC history. If you get past Petrol Munoz, you are worthy of being considered world-class. I, I, I 100% agree. Because I, I know people are going to go, ooh, Jimmy Rivera, Huffield, Asuncao. At the time, Asuncao was basically number one contender constantly. He was kind of in that Baleo Muhammad situation we have now. And Jimmy Rivera was awesome back in the day. And if it wasn't for a Marlon Marias head kick, probably would have fought for a title. Wasn't Jimmy, wasn't Jimmy like 20 wins in a row or something like that? Yeah, he had a crazy win streak. Like he was including Uriah Faber. Uh, and he fought Piotr Jan back in the day. And I've covered it once again on the Retro Review. Uh, and that fight's way closer than time remembers it, I think. Um, Jimmy Rivera was awesome. <laughs> like, let, let's not you know dance around that. Um, but... Like if you've beaten him, John Dod or, or yeah, John Dodson's awesome too back in the day. So if you've beaten him, you're you're something good. You're definitely something good about you. And what do you think are the big attributes that have made Pedro Munoz such a good litmus test for this for this weight class? I think he has a kind of that ultimate decider power in his right hand. I wouldn't say he has quite the same explosive knockout power of a Cheeto Vera. But when I think of Pedro Munoz, I think of two things. He's going to low kick you. And if that doesn't work or that's working really well, he's going to throw a big right hand at you. And it's for me, it kind of feels like the old adage of don't fear the guy who trains 100 punches once a day. Fear the guy who trains one punch 100 times a day. And that's kind of what it feels like. Uh, He's uh, ask Cody Garbrandt how that right hand was. Uh, he's he finished Brian Carroll Brian Carroll away with punches or with like I think a body kick, and then um, I think it was a body kick actually, but tons of power in his right hand, and he's gonna low kick you all the time. A lot of these guys he's fought have been really good at taking away the low kick or punishing for him for the low kick. Like Dominic Cruz tried to use awkward movement and mixed in takedowns to take him down off low kicks. Jose Aldo, in the latter stages of careers, abs- like fought his entire style around beating someone who throws low kicks at him. So, just kind of how it is. Um, and that, that, that feel, I feel like I'm like cutting him short by saying, like, oh, he's, he's mostly known for these two weapons. But he's really good at those weapons. Like, he is world class at these two weapons. And sometimes that's all you need, you know? I think you can also add two more weapons to that. Or... I- one weapon and one more sort of armor, if you put it that way. One, this guy has a granite chin. Like, what? probably one of the best chins yeah. in that division. Now, admittedly, 36 years Ever. old, there are going to be some question marks about whether that's going to hold up. But also as well, if it gets to a grappling exchange, which could be a good source of victory, bearing in mind Cheeto's issues with Jose Aldo on the ground, he has a hell of a good guillotine mm. as well. Yeah, he's... You know, when I'm, when I'm, now that we're talking about this, guillotine, right hand, where does he train that team alpha male? Uh, <laughs> and, and he's at bantam, and he's at bantamweight. What's going on here? Is that why he fought? Is that why Garbrandt fought him? Did he leave team alpha male? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't rag on Cody Garbrandt too much, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's got a great guillotine. Um, I 
didn't he? No, it's Marlon Marlon Marais caught him with the Rafael Sunset with the guillotine. Yeah, but yeah, he that shin of his. I don't think he's ever been finished. I don't. I'm, Pedro Munoz. I don't think he's ever been finished. Not yeah, he's taking shots. Yeah, because I know Cheeto Vera's got a crazy chin as well, but I don't think he's taken the shots that uh, Cheeto. I don't think I don't think Cheeto's taken the shots Pedro Munoz has. Jose Aldo blasted him with just punch combination after punch combination, and just nothing. John Dodson cracked him with bombs, nothing. Yeah, this guy's never taken the sh- shots like. And the Cody Garbrandt fight alone is gives me a headache. Like seeing both of those dudes just trade right hands for fun. It's alarming and awesome. <laughs> I love that fight. Uh, yeah, crazy oh, chin on Munoz. My best memory from that fight. I actually had a few friends over to uh, watch that one because we watched it on like the Sunday of, um, Sunday mornings over here. Because I'm not staying up to three o'clock in the morning. And I don't blame remember- you. I just remember my friends just saw like, just saw like, open mouthed, wide eyed, just seeing them two swinging at each other, and like Rogan just going ah, like over and over again, and like, because yeah. we we thought this was going to be quite comfortable for Cody Garbrandt. We didn't obviously acknowledge like the chin issues mm-hmm. that he sort of become known with then, and so when mm-hmm. Garbrandt gets dropped, the whole place is just like whoa. Uh, I remember that fight because it was on the Anthony Smith, uh, John Jones card. And I remember this distinctly because ESPN still owes me money for this. Uh, my feed cut out on multiple devices and they tried to make me rebuy it, uh, even though they charged me. So my feed cut out right as Garbrandt fell. It was an ESPN plus issue. And I still think they owe me money for that. I'm going to remember this. But I remember going, I wanted to see Ben Askren fight. Wait, what happened? Did, did Cody get back up? Because Cody, because they're just just literally barroom brawl swinging, hitting each other at the same time. And Cody falls first. And then it was awesome. It was awful. But I got to rewatch that fight all the time. And because it's it's amazing. That fight is definitely one of the fights I go, you know, you want to see what MMA really is? It's not this, but this is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we've got two guys here who have never been stopped in their careers. Um, it is the closest fight bookmakers-wise on the main card. Which way are you going with this one? Uh, I think I think Munoz still has some in the tank because I think he was tuning up Sean O'Malley in their fight. But uh, I think I'm going to go Cheeto Vera by decision here. I think he's just better like right now at this stage in their careers. I think Cheeto's is better. I think Cheeto's entering his prime. And uh, I, I don't think he's going to finish Munoz. I think, I think that chin of Munoz is still just too much. But I could see him knocking him down and nearly getting it. But I don't think he's quite going to get it here. I'm in a similar boat. I think that I always get wary when a fighter turns 35. I think 35 is a big cutoff point. Yeah. In fact, like Luke Thomas probably plays a big part in that as well. So thank you very much for that, Luke. <laughs> um, but no, I think there is... It's natural that the fighter is, on the whole, going to start slowing down at that age. I think that a prime Pedro Munoz has the tools to give Cheeto Vera some problems. But I think Cheeto hits a little bit harder. I think he has a similar sort of kicking game. So he'll know how to neutralize Munoz's attacks. Um, so I'm going to say it similar to you. I think picking Cheeto Vera, unanimous, unanimous decision. 
I think two things that are really interesting in this matchup is I, I really enjoy when someone kicks the kicker. Um, and Mino Vera is going to throw kicks. And Munoz likes to throw low kicks. Low kicks are a great way at disrupting someone's kicking actions. Um, but the on the flip side of, is Munoz is a orthodox fighter. Chido Vera fights both, but he's mostly southpaw, um, which opens up a rear knee, a left knee from Cheeto into the exact range of the shorter, the guy who's known to duck down. And even if he's changing levels for a takedown to duck into a knee potentially. So those are two things on the technical side of thing that really catch my eye here, but I'm not, it, that's, I do think it's, I don't think he's going to finish in there. Maybe it's having Weidman on this card, but I'm starting to get really worried about the idea of all these kicks being thrown. <sighs> I, I shouldn't say anything. I, I once had a, a Anderson Silva's checked kick as my screensaver to mess with my friend on my old laptop. That was horrible. It was horrible to unlock my old laptop and people at, at college would see me. It's a long story. Uh, it was for a joke. I need to change it. By number two, now we were supposed to stay in the Bantamweight division for this one. Um, Normally, we like to record this on the uh, Saturday morning, obviously, for time restraints. There were a couple of tech issues, so we had to push it back. So we're recording this on the Sunday morning. Um, it's a good thing that we did because overnight, we got the word that Cody Garbrandt had fallen out of his fight up against Mario Bautista, which was supposed to be the fight on this position of the card. Now, Garbrandt was a plus 245 underdog going into this one. Bautista, you could get a minus three or five. Now, the UFC are seeking out a replacement for uh, Bautista the face. It's unknown at this point whether or not this fight's going to stay on the card. So, uh, where do you stand personally on the news that Cody Garbrandt has pulled out of this fight? Do you think it's a good move from his part? Do you think it raises maybe some questions about Cody's future in the sport? Where do you personally stand? Uh, for me, I know it was an injury, and I never like to be that guy to like put doubt on a guy like... I think getting injured is really common, sadly, in the sport. It's really hard going through a training camp. And I, I, I always advocate for fighter safety. And going into a fight injured is never a good idea, ever. So I do like the move. I'm glad he didn't just tough it out. Uh, sadly, if you would have told me, like, hey, he's injured. Do you think he's going to pull out? I would have said, no, Cody Garbrandt's way too thick-headed to pull out. He's going to just go, nah, like... Nah, I'm going in there, bro, taking him out and then getting another neck tattoo, probably. Uh, and um, but I think, you know, he's he's getting older in his last fight. He he was showing maturity, something I'm not making a joke when I say that he was showing maturity, something that we've been wanting to see out of someone as athletically talented and able to pick up new things such as Cody Garbrandt. So, you know, I was definitely excited to see him fight again, see where like how, how much has he improved further um, but it, it is what it is. I, I hope he's able to come back. Hope he's able to come back. Um, cause I want to see more. It'd be really interesting to see if he got like a, a crazy Robbie Lawler esque turnaround in his career. But, um, I don't know. It could be the beginning of the end. I think there was definite improvements in Cordy. Um, I think he switched mm -hmm. training camps. I think he's working with Dewey Cooper now over it. I'm tempted to say oh. extreme couture. I think that's where they're at. Um, so I think that was it. And I liked seeing a more diverse sort of portfolio with Cody Garbrandt. 
Because normally Cordy's just known primarily for his boxing, but he was throwing a lot more kicks. He was using his wrestling a lot more. But it was still a nervous performance. And I did get yeah. the feeling that once Trevin Jones started to find a little bit of success, which Cordy allowed him to do because Cordy was very passive in that third round, there was this slight feeling of, oh, God, it's happening again. And he got really defensive in that third round. I managed to pull out the win and I, I'd argue save his UFC career. So here's yeah. my personal take. I think that if Cordy Garbrandt was, let's say, on a free four-fight winning streak, he would have gutted it out and tried to take this fight. But bearing in mind that his career in the UFC is still a little bit in question, he's played the safe move. And quite rightly so, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I think it's for the better, you know. Um, I'm definitely really curious as to, like, where his career goes because he's not that old. He's only 32, you know. And, I mean, like, he, he has taken a ton of damage in his career. You know, we mentioned the, you know, uh, Pedro Munoz fight. Tons of shots he took in that fight. Uh, TJ Dillashaw in both fights. I can attest, I've covered both of those fights. Ridiculous amount of punishment. Rob Font. And TJ Dillashaw, yeah, oh, Rob Font blasted him and just couldn't put him away. You know, that was a weird one because you, you think, oh, Rob Font, finisher, great power. He's going to put him away. Yeah, he actually couldn't. <laughs> and Cody Garbrandt, so he showed some things, but Kai Car Fronts, a lot of that was the drop down to flyweight. I think that makes your bad chin worse. Um, it's definitely like just a lot easier to be concussed when you're cutting so much weight. So I, th- I don't think that helped at all. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, I think it's, I hope he continues and somehow finds a way back because when he was like in, in like the run of it and coming up, he was so exciting to watch like rise up, you know, even though I hated him for beating Dominic Cruz, but, um, I mean, I, I, the other thing I think about, too, is, like, uh, I wonder I wonder how his career looks if they caught TJ in the first fight for EPO. Like, if at that point they strip, they strip him and he fights who? Um, it'd probably be... I guess Marias? It'd probably be Marias or Cejudo. Yeah. For, for 135? I wonder if, if he avoided the damage from that second fight, how it would how it would have turned out. Oh, Garbrandt you know? versus the Prime Marlin. I mean, what a fight that would have been. Oh, my God. It would have been insane. And crazy thing, too, about that. TJ Dillashaw, that, all that EPO, I heard rumors, and this is just a rumor, that he went up to Big Bear to train with, like, Tito Ortiz, and they had him benching Tito Ortiz. <laughs> That's a dangerous guy. We can't have him... And we can't have a guy like that on, on a sport. You know, TJ, Dill- TJ Dillashaw is 5'2", uh, walks around at 130 pounds, soaking wet. And he was benching Tito Ortiz's 900-pound noggin on EPO. Come on. Have you ever heard about the 12 trials of Heracles? Yes, I know them. Yeah, and there's, one of, them where, one, of there's them? one of them where, like, Hercules gets, like, Atlas the Giant to get the golden apples. And Hercules, like, holds mm-hmm. the world on his shoulders. That's what I'm picturing with TJ holding Tito's head. So it's, I, I, I actually kind of picture uh, Sisyphus moving that mountain all the way uphill, <laughs> all the way up the, uh, all the, that boulder all the way up, and Tito's head constantly rolls back down. Just constantly. 
INC Live, the only oh. MMA podcast to mix pro wrestling and Greek mythology. I played a lot of the, the game Hades. I know my Greek mythology. <laughs> so one more thing before we move on to our uh, next topic. So the UFC's plan is to try and keep Mario Bautista on the card. Um, which way do you think the UFC are going to go with this? Do you think they're going to try and get someone at an equal level to Cody Garbrandt? Do you think it's going to be like a flyweight moving up? Um, do you think that maybe they're going to try and get a guy on the regional scene? Like Boston's known for its like high-level bantamweight fighters. Which way do you think the UFC are going to lean with this? Oh my god, I just thought of the funniest idea. I don't think this is going to happen, but hear me out. Out comes Chris Matinho, Mario, Mario Batista. No, uh, I think Chris Matinho is from that area. I think yeah. he... Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know. I could see a flyweight moving up. Um, there's probably some really cool ones, cool ideas you could match up with him. Because Mario Batista is really fun on the ground. Oh, man, could you imagine um, Brandon Royval moving up in weight to take on Max Batista? Rival's like, not going to do anything to risk. Max, uh, he's not going to do anything to risk title that title fight. Yeah, I don't think so either. But God, the grappling exchanges would be so much fun. Oh man! One rumor I've heard is one rumor I've heard is uh, Timo Valuev because he was on the Ultimate Fighter this season, had that close fight with Brad Katona. Uh, a lot of people believe that Valuev could have possibly won that fight, so I think I maybe he, he gets rewarded with uh, getting back into the USC by taking this on short notice. Oh, that sounds amazing. I actually, that's one of the few fights I've watched. I've watched all the Austin Hubbard fights, and I watched the Kurt Holabaugh fight recently. And, uh, but that fight I watched, because everyone told me how awesome it was. Yeah. Uh, that fight was awesome. I thought Teamer won. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm so down for that. That sounds great. That so fight was great. So fight number three, speaking of short notice for placements, it brings us on to our welterweight encounter. Uh, Ian Gary remains in action here. He is the number 13 seed. Originally, he was supposed to fight Jeff Neal, which I think would have been an absolute mm -hmm. belter of a fight. Unfortunately, Neal has to pull out through injury. Uh, Ian Gary is still going to face a Neal, but it's Neil Magny, the number 11 seed. Not many people are giving Magni a chance in this one, however. Plus 350 compared to a minus 375 for Ian Gary. Now, Ian Gary has been hyped by the UFC as the next big thing for a long, long time. And there's a couple of factors in that. Obviously, he trains at Killcliffe now, which has been this sort of hub for like top-level welterweight fighters. He's also got the Irish backing, so you link it into Connor. A lot of people trying to sort of bill him as the next Conor McGregor. He's leaned into it as well with some of his behavior. Admittedly, I was a little bit slow to get onto the Ian Gary hype train, but that performance against Daniel Rodriguez made me think, you know what? Those uh, people who bigged him up, they may very well be right. Yeah, that was kind of an eye-opener for me. I didn't expect him to beat uh, Daniel Rodriguez like, like that, especially. Um, yeah, I... Part of me thinks he's still a little overhyped, but he has a great camp behind him, and it's really yes. hard to like. He he trains with like Andre Fialo, Vicente Luque, Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, Rockhold. Oh yeah, Burns is over there too. Um, isn't Shavkat there as well? I think he might be. I think Shavkat's there, and yeah, there's a lot of guys. Yeah, you know, though that that train over there. And 
I would, you know, he shows that he has the power. Uh, I want to see his grappling because I'll be honest. Yes. When I hear you got, when I hear you have Machado in your name, I, I my brain is like, okay, show us, you know, uh, <laughs> like, cause you're a Machado. Like what's going on? I mean, but, that's because um, he's uh, wife's uh, Machado. Yeah. His wife's a Machado. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like Travis Brown is going to become like a world-class judoka now. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like AJ Lee said, you know. And uh, I think it's the second previous show in a row I've made that reference, so I need to think of another one. Um, <laughs> but you know, hey, like it's it's just like AJ Lee said. But uh, I, when I the second he like when he took her name like that, I was like, oh, maybe he's gonna you know pop out, black belt it up, and uh, start taking some taking some arms with him and he hasn't really done that he's been taking heads instead which uh, i don't really like him so i don't like that either but uh <laughs> but I, he he has he has promise he he's doing you know what the ufc likes the ufc is a fight promotion but they don't really like promoting fighters they like when you do the work for yeah. them um and he's doing the work for them so um and they love that they love the irish connection they love the fact that he's a finisher um, they're they're even willing to ignore the fact that he was getting smoked in his debut um, before the knockout. So, I mean, hey, I mean that that debut is a lot of the reason why I'm still a little cold on him. Is eh, but he has improved massively since then. Yeah. So, I don't know. I know he was poking the bear against Jeff Neal pretty hard, and uh, I thought that was a recipe for disaster for him because uh, Jeff Neal is not one of the guys. I would want to uh, make angry in a dark alley, but he's instead going to fight the guy who won the battle of the Neils between them two. So, yeah, that's an interesting sort of wrinkle there, because like a lot of people, and admittedly, mm. Jeff Neil has got a lot better since the uh, first Neil Magny fight. Yes. But it is an interesting wrinkle that he was supposed to fight Jeff, and now he's fighting Magny, and Magny technically mm. should be the better fighter, but MMA math doesn't work like that. Um, yeah. Neil Magny has always been known as a sort of, I think it would be a bit harsh to call him a gatekeeper, but he is that sort of guy who, very similar to Pedro Munoz, you beat him, it does mean something. I've got a list here of some of the losses that Neil Magny's had in his career. Damian Meyer, Lorenz Larkin, Ardier, Ponzinibbio, Michael Chiesa, Schafkart, and Gilbert Burns. Uh, once again, like... Uh... Once again, there's not a lot of, like, a lot of these names. It, it was a Pedro Munoz, we said, like, oh, who's beat him? These are a lot of great names. I think Lorenz Larkin's incredibly underrated fighter. Um, <laughs> so there's no shame in that. Damian Maya was at, like, peak Maya levels. Uh, I think the only, like, real two ones you could, but you're going back to 2013, it's like Seth Bozinski. Like, everything else has been like, yeah, that's really legit. Those guys are awesome. Those guys are great. <laughs> like, I mean, his loss, he lost, his most recent loss was Gilbert Burns in a fight that you and me were both saying, wait, why are you making this fight? This doesn't make any sense. And then Gilbert Burns won because Gilbert Burns is the man, you know? I don't, I don't think it's his fault that there's a bad matchmaking. And even then, he's still winning fights. He just beat Phil Rowe. Who was he's on, like, a good winning streak. Yeah, he's really good. Neil Magny's awesome. Yeah. He has a bad reputation for that gatekeeper status, but that's just because he wins so many fights, they have to match him against someone who's the man. Um, 
What would you say are Neil Magny's best weapons? Because one of the big criticisms that some people have had with him is, yes, he's a good all-around fighter, but it's almost to a fault. Like, if you're a striker, Neil Magny is content to say, okay, so you want to strike? I'm happy to do that. You want to grapple? I'm happy to do that. He doesn't sort of push his game onto people. So I expect Ian Gary to be the guy who's trying to dictate the type of fight that he has. And it's going to, we're going to see whether or not the Neil Magny can hold his own in the striking. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like his game is cardio and that doesn't sadly have a style. Like he wears you out and just drains you of all your energy and now he's healthy and now he's the one that's in good shape and he's going to one that's going to murder you and beat you up. Um, I always think of the Hector Lombard comeback he had, which was incredible. Um, good win as well. Like Lombard was had a lot time, of fun fair at the time. Yeah. Still a very good win for Lombard at the time. And, uh, or Lombard was still very highly touted at the time. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to think of like how to put it. Like he, he just wants to drain you of all your all your juice. He has a good amount of. He's willing. You know what? I I use this as a verb, and I I, I usually use it in a mocking sense. But he's a great Holly Homer, and like he's he's great at it. And uh, he's active sometimes in there. He sometimes sheds that that tag and makes it a full on clinching against the cage, dirty boxing, with some great knees, and. That builds up lactic acid. That wears you out. And he has no shame and no problem doing it. As he shouldn't. He shouldn't have any problem doing it. Um, as much as I make fun of it, who am I to, you know, to judge long, that? As long as you're not doing it in Apex main events, it's okay. Yeah. As long as I don't have to recap it in a five-round fight. I'm... <laughs> I mean, don't call yourself a knockout artist and go out there hauling home and 25 people in a row. That's all I'm saying. Like, how many uh, people online? Like, I know Holly has a big fan base. And if you are a Holly Holm fan, I do apologize. But I remember the night after the Myra Bueno Silva match. And there was hmm. a lot of people. And the reaction, it wasn't so much that they were happy Bueno Silva won. It was, yes, no more Holly <laughs> made events. That was at least my reaction. Uh, and uh, it was fantastic. It was, I felt, I felt like celebrating because I was openly dreading it in the previous week recap videos and going getting close to this fight. This is what I got to deal with in my birth month of June. Okay, great. Thank you, UFC. And then it like, she loses and oh man, I don't know. It, it just felt wonderful. It was a wonderful moment for me and nothing is going to take that away. Uh, <laughs> I want to retro review that card. Um, <laughs> Patreon donation and we will do it. Yeah, or you know what? Here's a better one. Can we refresh a review? Um, Amanda Nunez and her for that head kick. Oh, it was beautiful. That, uh, head was, kick the... that was Masvidal versus Asquin as well. Oh, was that one, that card? Yeah. Oh, that yeah, we have to do that card because because uh, that has uh, one of the longest fights of all time in it. I um, I'm trying to say as well. I I believe we did have that one as one of the nominees. When we oh, did the international one. fight weeks, one eighty nine one. Yeah, which is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to get back on topic here. Um, one thing I would, I am interested to see with Neil Magny is, on the whole, Ian Gary has had a big length and reach advantage over most of his opponents that he's faced in the UFC. 
I am interested to see how he handles somebody that matches him in that realm. Because Neil Magny is a tall, lanky guy in his own right. And if there are some issues I have seen with Ian Gary, I think his defense is still a little bit suspect. He, has, he, he falls into this trap, which I think a lot of people his size do, tall man defense. And we have seen some fighters exploit that at times. Just like the lean back, and yeah. he's uh, and he's fighting against a guy who has himself fallen to the tall man defense and knows not to do that anymore. Um, yeah, I, yeah, Ian Gary feels hittable to me. Yeah, it's like a big kind of a gripe I have with him is he, se- he seems really hittable, and it, this isn't a guy that's going to punish you for that. That was Jeff Neal. That was the guy who was really yes. going to punish you for being hittable. But this guy, hey, like he's still it's going to hurt and. It's going to hurt way more in round three if he gets there because you're tired now. Like, that's kind of the, the the problem with fighting a guy like him. The big the big thing is it's like a one-week, one, two-week one, two notice thing. Like, I think this matchup is really interesting on full training camps. But, like, I, like we said earlier, injuries are the name of the game, sadly, in our sport. You know, it's just kind of how it is. So... Uh, also, a big X factor is that two of Neil Magny's losses have come against Shafkat and Gilbert Burns, training partners of Ian Gary. Do you think yeah. that's going to be a factor? I think probably. I think if they're if they're confident, because how both those guys beat him is they submitted him by taking him down and just being better grapplers than him. You know, uh, I mean that's like it's like you were saying earlier. He's so well rounded to a fault that when he takes on the guys who are world-class in certain aspects of the sport. They just outclass him and because he's so willing to go there when he should have been fighting for his life to avoid the ground against a guy like Gilbert Burns. He was a little bit more willing. And uh, just kind of is what it, like he was trying to get Ponzinibbio down, but he just took so many low kicks. He was willing to strike with him for too long that uh, by the time he was like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. It's too late. So... Uh, I think that will play into a factor, though. I think if he's as com- if they're if he's as confident on the ground as he acts like he is, they're probably gonna be like, "All right, just take him down." And like, here's how this is how he likes to grapple. He likes to go here, here, here. This is a move he likes doing. He tried this against me. I could definitely see that playing a factor. Ian Gary, big favor going into this fight. Uh, do you think he's going to win? And if so, do you think it's going to be by finish? Uh, I think he finishes him. Sadly. Um, I think he most likely decisions him, but I don't know. I think he's going to, if he finishes him, I don't think he'll do it with punches. I think only one guy's put him out with punches. That's Ponza Nibio. I think that was low and, kicks, wasn't it? No, he, he blasted him with a right hand and made him face plant. Yeah. Yeah. He, he clobbered him. That was back when Ponza Nibio Ponzi was, that was prime Ponzi. Oh man. He should have, should have fought for the title. Honestly, it, it just pains me watching him now, but that's what happens when you tear your knee completely apart four times in a row. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this fight is super interesting on a full training camp. Sadly, we're not getting it. And that hurts Neil Magny's game plan of t- taking away your cardio and utilizing that to the fullest. Uh, I'm going to be picking Gary to win this one. I think Magny's going to do enough to survive, though. I'm going to pick a unanimous okay. decision. I think Ian Gary is good enough to maybe be like a top six, top seven guy. Do mm-hmm. I see him beating, say... The Blah Muhammad's of the world. I don't. 
I think there's a there's a ceiling to him. Now, admittedly, he is getting better. We've only got like 12 fights in his career, so he can get a lot better. At this moment in time, though, I just think he's a step below the elite. I, I think a really fun matchup, maybe because I don't like Ian Gary. Maybe I'm biased. Uh, but a guy who I think is top three and no one is willing to admit it and uh, is having trouble getting a fight right now is Shavkat. Oh, they're just in camp. Same camp. I, oh, man, I think Shavkat is the real deal. Shavkat's so, good. He is so oh, good. Yeah. I, as, good, as much as you don't like uh, Hamzat, I thought Hamzat was a top two guy at welterweight. If he could make weight, obviously, struggles. Uh, but I thought Shafkat was right there, just as good as him. And if not a higher ceiling, I thought. I think Shafkat had the higher ceiling of the two. Yeah, but Shafkat is insane. Doesn't get enough credit for yeah. how good he is. Yeah, um, mainly it's not hit Hamza. It's just he's an idiot. He's just like a, a oh, yeah. meathead. Like he's a he's a mega douche. Is, the fighter is very impressive, but he is careless, and I just don't like him behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I I love watching the fighter. I don't necessarily like the guy because he's a he comes across. Uh, you know, I think we're far enough into this. I, I don't think this is a bad word by YouTube standards. But I think he's douchey. I think he's a douchebag. Yeah. As uh, as the great late great rest in peace, uh, Iron Sheik would say, it's douchebag. <laughs> it's douchebag. Yeah, he used um, to say a lot worse than that, though, mind yeah. Oh yeah, that's the best I got. It's the best I can say here. <laughs> oh, Sheiky baby, I miss him so much. So do I. Like, honestly, yeah. um, I think it was, like, his management. I don't think he did it himself. His Twitter feed was so fun to follow. I It was one of my favorites all the time because I only read it in his voice. So like, uh, so it'd be like, I hope everybody has the wonderful day except for that mother <laughs> jabroni Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Like, it was, it was great. Fantastic. Also, uh, one of the few guys... If MMA was a thing in that in his era, would have probably been world champion. Oh, he was a world class amateur wrestler. <laughs> yeah, one of the best amateur wrestlers of all time, uh, and an absolute monster of a man physically. He would have been uh, what people say Kurt Angle could have been. I think easily. So now we move on to our core main event, and the strawweight title is on the line. Zhang Weili, our defending champion, is taking on the number five seed Amanda Lemos. Uh, so the betting odds for this one have Whaley as a minus 330 favourite. So fairly comfortable up against Lemosh. A lot of people think it should be it should be fairly straightforward for Whaley to win this one. That being mm. said, these betting odds are a lot closer than what the general public are thinking. We run the opinion polls on the main channel. And at the moment, uh, just 4% of people are picking Amanda Lemosh to win this fight. Now to put that into perspective, 6% of people gave Jessica Rye a chance to beat Valentina Shevchenko. Which, bearing in mind the two fighters, and bearing in mind what Amanda Lemos has done in her UFC career, I don't know about you, I think that's very harsh. I, that's super harsh. Uh, I think Amanda Lemos doesn't have a nickname, but with Jessica I retiring, evil is open. Amanda Lemos could do here we go evil here we go at the I'm just saying open workouts it's open you know free it's free but that's super harsh especially like I mean outside of the Jessica Andrade fight which is a little awkward um she was smashing people as you and me talked about this before the show 
how impressive she was before that fight. Yeah. Do you think that the Andrade fight has been a factor in people sort of dismissing her as a threat? Bearing in mind what Andrade has done since then, obviously she's had the bad run of form, and the fact it was just so recent ago. And people, instead of seeing Lemos as this like sort of big knockout artist who could catch Whaley early, they're instead thinking, that girl who lost uh, with the um, standing chalk, she's going to be Whaley. Kind of. It, it affects me, admittingly. Um, and I'm saying that as someone who watched live and recapped uh, her next two fights last year after that, um, which she won both by finish against, my, I'm single now, so my future wife potentially, Michelle Watterson, and uh, Marina Rodriguez. So, um, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, like it admittingly affects my perception of her, even though I have to, like, I have to actually remind myself, no, Marina Rodriguez should have fought for a title. Yes. And she finished her. Like she was beating her comfortably before the finish. I remember the finish being a little wonky, but like she was beating her comfortably before that. So, I mean... She's she's a legit, like she's a legit title challenger in my mind. But I will admit, like when how my brain sees it, I go, oh, you know, like she got put in that like really awkward standing arm triangle and just kind of let it happen. It was like kind of awkward. It was really awkward. Um, but I mean, I I, I don't know. It I feels a little harsh, but. I mean, spoiler alerts, I am picking Wiley Zhang to win comfortably, <laughs> but... Yeah, not not 4% comfortably, though. Yeah, like 5. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's that's crazy, you know. Um, and I think the other big factor it's had as well is not only are people sort of, like, dismissing Lemosh as a threat, I am seeing zero buzz for this fight. Like, you know, yeah. during the fight nights, they'll do, like, the on-screen graphics, and they'll say, like, Sterling versus O'Malley, two weeks' time, order the pay-per-view here. They're not even mentioning Whaley versus Lemosh on those graphics. It's almost sort of, like, treated as as an afterthought. And I think that's a factor for it, that people are sort of dismissing Lemosh as a threat. But also, as well, Whaley just hasn't been active as a champion. Not really. Nah, not really. She... Because her last fight was Carla, which was in November. Yeah, and she and didn't you, take my... and she didn't take much damage in that fight. Carla's not that kind of fighter either. No, uh, and like she beat her pretty comfortably. And I mean, unless there was like something going on with like a, maybe a potential injury or anything like that, you would kind of expect her to fight in the spring, maybe early parts of the summer, not here in August. It's kind of odd. Yeah, I've actually um, got I've actually got a stat here. Yeah which uh, surprised me. So, John Whaley made her UFC debut in, I believe it was uh, 2018. It was on that uh, Dillashaw versus Garbrandt 2 card. So, mm -hmm. in her first... So, from 2018, or sort of like August 2018 through to the end of 2019, she fought four times. Since then, she has fought five times. So that's five times in three years when it was four times in 12 months. So she has become much more inactive since she got the belt. Uh, wow. 
that's not good. Uh, but then again, you know, I mean, like, she's, despite her only being in, I would say, like, I don't want to say the public eye, but in, like, the main focus of her division's kind of spotlight, you say, you could say she she was in there, like, in her early 30s. And she's 33 years old. Maybe, maybe she's, like, taking it slower so she can have this career that spans into her 40s. I don't see that too much as a problem. But when you're champion, you I feel like you kind of need to be a little bit more active. That's just me. Yeah, I'm personally think you should maybe try and defend your belt twice a year. Yeah. Uh, as much as I want you, uh, much, as much as I preach fighter safety, uh, I totally understand taking things slow because it's hard. It's a really hard sport. Um, but uh, I, I, in a perfect world, I think two times a year is perfect. Yeah. Because I think the big issue as well is that I think the strawweight needs to sort of revive itself. It was relying a little bit on sort of like the five queens either. Um, mm -hmm. And since then, of course, Carla is pregnant. Congratulations to her. Rose is going to flyweight. Yuan is retired. It needs to replenish and sort of try and bring some sort of fresh names to the fore and challenging for belts. And because we've got a little bit of a logjam starting the strawweight right now because the Lemosh fight, for whatever reason, has been pushed back until August. And you've got Yan Xiaonan and Tatiana Suarez, who both have strong claims for a title fight. And they're either going to have to fight each other, which is going to kill off a contender, or they're going to have to wait their turn. And if Whaley's fighting at the same sort of rate she has been, like, Suarez is going to be out of her prime by the time she fights, because she's, what, 33 yeah. now? Yeah. she's she's uh, She lost, like, three, four years of her prime already. Yeah. So, sad. And it's such a shame as well, because, like, don't get me wrong, Jean Whaley, very entertaining fighter. Incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Like, you always have these sort of reputations of the sort of... And it's something that really... And no offense to Carla, I'm sort of, like, taking her out of the equation. I do love Carla, but she wasn't really the most exciting fighter in the world. But there has been this tradition of the strawweight queen being an action star. Like, Ioana had that, Rose had that, and then, of course, Whaley's taking it over now. And Whaley fits that bill perfectly. She's very, very fun to watch. Yeah. She's super fun to watch. And uh, I, I like Carla as well, too. But I'm still not going to forgive her for making me watch that Rose 2 fight. I'd rather watch Aldrich Viana. I said Honestly. It. I said it, yeah. yeah. As, some, as but, one of the few people who picked Carla to win that fight, that's the one positive I'll take from it. I told people Carla was going to win that. I think I'd rather watch Nganu Derek Lewis because at least that's three rounds. It'll be over quick. And the commentary is hilarious. Oh my god, the commentary is so funny. Uh, I will say this though, uh, I climbed very high in Hearthstone watching that fight uh, on my phone on this mobile game on my phone. That's a joke. I I had to take notes. I, I watched it three times the night of for the recap video, and I will never forget it. Um, I, I love the fans. I don't know if you can tell. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, Zhang Weili is incredibly exciting. She, I, you know, I, I'll say this. Uh, you and me have talked about it, how it, it's always a great mark of finding out how much someone likes the sport when you ask them their, their favorite fighter. 
I think that also applies to people who watch MMA at a decent clip. But like, how much do you watch women's MMA? Nothing against women's MMA. It's just not as doesn't have the history and not as popular overall as like men's. And so I think it's really interesting when someone gives me an answer of like, like, oh, who's your favorite female fighter? Like, who's your favorite? Like, if they nine times out of ten, I usually get, oh, I don't know. I like that one chick that was had their hair cut. Like, okay, thanks. Yeah, Rose. Everyone loves Rose. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting when someone goes, uh, like. You know, Jessica Andrade, I hear a good amount, too, because she's got knockout power. But more often than not, I hear Zhang Weili because of her all-action style and how she's kind of improved from being this very rudimentary kickboxer to, like, oh, hey, <laughs> she can go, like, really, really go, as we saw in the Joanna 1 fight. Uh, and then, hey, turns out she's a really good wrestler and probably should have won that decision against Rose, you know? And... Then she had the spinning back fist. And then look, now she's tapping out Carla, who's a good grappler. And like that really weird uh, crucifix from the bottom it was really weird. But she got her, you know, got her and caught her. Like it, it's really fun seeing her improve steadily and become more exciting. I just wish we could see her fight more. She fought two times last year. I, that's a blessing. Maybe if she wins this, maybe she shows up on that December card. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, that's certainly more hope so. so. Like, just for the just yeah. for the entertainment factor, you did touch on something, in my opinion, though, which is going to be the big X factor in this fight. As good as Whaley is as a striker, mm-hmm. the grappling has improved tenfold since working with Henry Cejudo. And yeah. bearing in mind some of the weaknesses that Amanda Lemos has faced in her UFC career, I think that's going to be a big pathway to victory. I think she's going to go very grappling heavy in this fight. Yeah. She's been working out with this guy named Josh Hinger as well, who is a very high-level black belt under Andre Galvo, who was like a Strikeforce vet and stuff like that. He's like like a bronze medalist at like ADCC and stuff like that. She's been working with him. She's I've seen her on uh, – shout out to another YouTuber, Lawrence Kinshin. He likes striking videos, especially Muay Thai. Great place. Uh, but he helped Wiley Zhang meet up with uh, – I think it was Sanchai like a f- incredibly famous, highly touted, one of the best Muay Thai strikers ever. And they worked together for, I think it was the road or the, the second, maybe the second or first Joanna fight. And so she's like, she's traveling around going and fighting, like training with all these different coaches. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's really cool as someone who would be really happy to, you know, be like, oh, I got the best gym in the world. I don't have to go anywhere. I think it's also really cool when you go and meet these specialists and try and take their kind of thing. Like when she had Cejudo in her camp. Cejudo, I remember her saying, I think, um, because, you know, she's like practicing her English. I remember her saying in an interview, it was really awkward to try and do some of the moves Cejudo did because he used a lot of leverage from his massive head. And she didn't really, she didn't have that. She didn't have that benefit. But hey, you know what? She used it incredibly well against, I, I finally lost it there, um, against uh, Rose Namajunas. And I thought she won that fight. Like it's, I thought she won that fight pretty good, you know. But I think, I, I'm kind of thinking the same boat. I think she just has more ways to win. And that's a big thing for me. When, you ha- when you're really good at winning one way, that's fantastic. But she has a lot more ways to win, I feel like. Especially now, especially now. Yeah. 
if I did have to point to some weaknesses when it comes to Zhang Weili, because every fighter has them, no fighter is perfect. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, there's really two big ones to stand out for me. I don't think she's the fastest starter. I know no. people are going to point to the Andrade fight in the early finish, but that was an anomaly. Andrade was incredibly careless going into that one. But we saw her get finished early against Rose in the first fight. And even in her debut, Danielle Taylor, who's never been known as a power puncher, like rocked a big time at the end of that round. So I do yeah. think there's, she does take a little bit of time to try and sort of like work out her opponents. Um, and that plays into Amanda Limosh. In my opinion, if you're looking for the most dangerous round one fighter in this weight class, I'd argue it's her. Yeah, she she is a just comes out guns a blazing and has a lot of finishes to back that up. Uh, a lot of like a, a good variety too. Like she has hard punches, but like she got a pretty good flying knee. She hits like a truck. She hits a very very hard. Um, this could be kind of a if she has a slow start, Lamosh could pull off that upset and make 4% of our viewers look like super geniuses. Yes. Like, yeah. It's for all me, can of Coke to all 4% of them yep. at that point. Um, all that kind of iron brew, brewed from the girders of Scotland. Yeah, I have, uh, I sadly have a Red Bull here. It's not very good. Yeah, it does uh, give but... you wings though. It does, you know. Yeah. It gives me. I mean, it gives you wings. I have to finish it first, though. You can tell we're searching for product placement. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take anything, like this Charlie's cheesesteaks I got last night. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um. So for me, two big weapons when it comes to Lemosh, I think it's her counter right. So if Willie mm -hmm. is willing to try and come forward, I mean that's a big weapon that Lemosh can utilize, and the power left as well. So when she's going forward, it's the left hand which really takes prominence. Um, I'm also interested in how Lemosh would handle herself on the ground because I think most people quite rightly expect Jean Willy to sort of be in control once it gets there. However, this is a girl who submitted Michelle Watson, did it with, uh, yeah. I think, a guillotine. So no slouch on the ground either. So it would be interesting to see how she handles herself there. She likes her power submissions, I noticed, in the ground in my research leading up to it. Uh, she's very strong. And uh, Zhang Weili also likes to use her incredible, like, low center of gravity and great strength. Uh, like, for, like very, I, I guess, like, the differences would be, like, uh, Volkanovski was, was a super big guy. But, you know, he has a lot of, like, that core strength, like we saw against Makachev. And Zhang Weili is kind of similar in, like, the shorter frame, low center of gravity, and then, like, great, like, just, like, core center of gravity strength, I guess you could describe it as. But Amanda Lemos really likes, like, uh, like her guillotine was it was good it was a good it was a solid technique but she was able to put that like that's like that stank strength like i guess if you to describe it it was it was pretty awesome um and uh if Zhang Wei Li, she has like you know it's like sean i'm not saying i'm not i feel bad uh but i'm not comparing her to sean shirk who did not have a neck but that guy was impossible to choke out sean shirk had no neck uh Zhang Wei Li, uh how she's kind of built her neck isn't like isn't you know uh, it's like Brandon Royville has like a long neck. We mentioned him earlier. It seems like it's easy if you take his back to get something in. But Zhang Weili, it's going to be a little harder to choke her, I would imagine. Uh, that said, I would not leave your neck out there. Because even if she gets it on the chin, Amanda Lemos is very strong. She could crank it and turn it, just make it into like a, you know, a guillotine is more of a neck crank already. But 
just make it that much more painful as like a full on neck crank. And it could, it could be pretty bad. Um, so be very careful at leaving the head out. If it is attack, like a takedown in style engagement. Um, I, I, that, that is something Lamos could do, but, uh, I'm really curious to see how the body kicks of Wiley Shang work against Lamos. Yeah, like, is she going, is Lamos going to try to counter with a longer right hand? That is one of her power shots. Um, because, uh, Wiley Shang loves the lead leg kicks, like yes. kicks with her lead leg to like round kick to the body, to the inside low kick. Um, that does leave you a little bit open. It's kind of it's a little bit harder to put your lead shoulder in the way to block the right hand coming in, um, especially if you're on one foot. So, and it's how she starts a lot of the combinations, low kicks. Yeah, she'll, like that's what made her and the Joanna fight so great. Is Wiley Zhang will engage with a low kick, throw a punch combination, and then Joanna's firing back with a punch combination that ends in a low kick. So the entire exchange starts and ends with the low kick, the alpha and omega. Yeah. Um, I would be interested to see as well. We we sort of touched on the ground game there and some of like Lemosh's potential submission threats. I would be interested to see if Lemosh was able to reverse position because one thing I did notice about Whaley, we talk about how good her grappling has gotten. Mm-hmm. But I did think when she fought Rose the second time, and this in my opinion, I, I, I disagree with you. I think Rose did enough to win the second fight. And the big reason was that when Rose was on the bottom, she was doing a lot more to try and stay active. She was throwing up submission attempts. She was trying to scramble, trying to sort of switch in reverse position. Whaley seemed a lot more content to stay on the ground when the roles were reversed. So I do think she mm. might just be a little bit uncomfortable there. So it would be interesting to see if Lemosh was able to reverse position, how Whaley would handle that. Okay. Um, I think another big factor as well, when it comes to Amanda Lemosh, we talk about all the power she carries early in a fight. But with that extra power comes conditioning issues. We yeah. saw that against Michelle Waterson. It didn't really show up against Marina Rodriguez. She managed to get that done in the third round. But if she does go to the fourth or fifth round, is she going to be able to carry that power late on? Yeah, that's a big thing too. Especially especially against someone who has such a good chin and uh, Wiley Zhang. Like that's, everyone loves to bring up the Rose knockout. That kick's knocking out anybody. Yeah. The, the best the best chin in MMA history. That kick, if that kick from in like that hole, you know, to make it fair and everything, that kick's probably knocking out the, your Dan Hendersons, your uh, like your Pedro Munozes and stuff like that. Cheeto Veras, that kick's probably knocking them out too. Um, it's it just happens. Everyone everyone's clock gets you know caught at some point. Um, but it. I mean, like her chin is insane from both Joanna fights. Both both of them are just blasting each other constantly. And Joanna has she's more like death by like a thousand punches, but she has some pop, and she just took all of it and kept going. So and uh, it's definitely interesting. I, I think I think Wiley Jane's chin is very good though, and so I'm if she's able to survive into the later rounds, her cardio is much better than Mandalamos potentially. So. I think that's going to be a factor as well. I know we sort of gave out a little bit for people not giving Lemosh a chance. Um, mm-hmm. And I stand by that. I think 4% is not doing her a real disservice. But I do think Whaley's going to win this one. Um, I think she has more weapons. Um, I think she has the grappling advantage. 
And I think she has the conditioning. So I'm going to say Zhang Weili, fourth round, it's going to be sort of ground and pound, an exhausted limo just succumbs. And then Big John or not Big John, he retired years ago. Like Herb Dean <laughs> or the Mark Goddard steps in and stops the fight. Big John's busy talking about random fishing trips during main events in Bellator. And I'm talking about the fight. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I will say, um, for the record, I can understand it being 4% now that I think about it. Because sometimes you'll see a movie that, like, it's okay. And it's not bad. It's fine. But it's got, like, a random 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It, that doesn't mean it's, like, one of the best movies ever. It just means that... 99% of people thought it was okay. It wasn't bad, at least. So maybe it's something, maybe it's like a situation like that when you're picking fights where it's like, uh, you know, there's a lot lost in translation, I guess you could say. It's like, oh no, this fight's pretty close, but I think Wiley Zhang's going to win. You know, you could be 96% say that. Um, that said, yeah, Wiley Zhang. I have her winning by, I, I think, I think she's just improved so much that I think it's a comfortable decision. And one final question before we move on to our main event. Assuming John Whirley wins this one, who gets the next title fight? Suarez or Jan? Because on I the think one, Jan. There you go. You, you interrupt my answer there because I was going to say because you've either got the all-China super fight, which I know the UFC are going to love, so they're going to play the business card, or do you strike the iron when it's hot and give Suarez that opportunity to be great before it's too late? Suarez deserves it more, I think. Well, no, maybe not. Um, I don't know. I think Suarez earned it a long time ago, and it sucks that she's probably going to wait a year and a half for this title shot. But Or do you, sort of a wild card answer here, I'm going to play a little bit of a Brian Campbell here. Do you run the Rose Trilogy fight back? Because that is the albatross around Whirly's neck as things stand right now rose is the dennis holman to her matthews it's always going to be something that people are going to bring up i there's a very obvious joke there with dennis holman being brought up and i'm i'm mature enough to avoid it is it about the speedo uh, yes it is i'm not going to say anything because i don't want pat very low kicking me so uh <laughs> especially especially if pat Berry shows up i'm gonna have some questions anyways uh, I think, uh, I think, I, I mean, uh, Rose is actually fighting Manon Farrell. She is, yes. I don't think yeah. it's going to end well for for Rose, so I'm picking Fiero to win that one. Sadly, me too. I, I think she was perfect size for 115, not 125. Yeah, I don't know how 125 is going to be. 125 is awesome, though. Now. It's a fantastic so, weight class right now. Yeah, it's fantastic. Which we have a, a respectable champion for her the first time, and. <laughs> Are you are you getting nervous about September? You know, because we made a big deal about like the Mexican takeover, and like Grasso's the only one left now. I'm I'm terrified. For being honest, I've talked so much trash. Yeah. That like I know it's gonna bite me bite me in the ass, and uh, I I know I know the people in the, that watch the preview shows that hear me make all these jokes. They know I'm they know I'm 99% joking. So well, I hope so. It's all it's all in good fun. Yeah. You know, I'm 99% joking, but I do think. Alexa Cross is the first respectable champ in a while. I was going to um, I was going to bring this up at the end of the show, but I'll put it here right now. Uh, normally, we only do the preview shows for the pay-per-views. 
But mm. bearing in mind that Grassle versus Shevchenko is going to be a free TV card and it's a title fight, how would you be up for covering that one as a preview show? I'd be down for it. Yeah. Um, didn't we lose the coming event, though? Uh, yeah, Shavkat versus uh, Kelvin. That's heartbreaking, man. Yeah. That's so heartbreaking. But maybe they'll find someone for Shavkat. Well, let's certainly hope so, yeah, because I've had a look at the card. It's not the best, I have to be honest. Maybe we could just do it like what we did back in the day where we just talk about the main event. Probably. Tell you what, we'll put it to the public um, and you guys post in the comments to see what kind of preview show you would like us to uh, cover uh, when it gets around to that point. But me and George certainly seem up for the idea of covering uh, Grossel versus Shevchenko as a preview. Um, so... While Joe sort of like looks up the fight card or gets his notes prepped together, we're going to talk about the main event of the evening. So the Bantamweight title is on the line. Aljamain Sterling will be defending his belt for the fourth time up against the number two seed Sean O'Malley. Now Aljo is a minus 265 favorite for this one. You can get O'Malley in at plus 215. Now it's fair to say that Aljamain Sterling is not the most popular champion when it comes to the UFC currently. And a lot of that stems from what happened against Piotr Jan, and a lot of people maybe still won't forgive him for that. Do you feel the tide is turning a little bit? Is there, maybe not so much of these like a big fan favorite, but more of a case of, I might not like the guy, but I respect what he's doing. I feel like, I feel like it's gone from vitriolic hate and dislike for him to indifference is what i'll say i still feel like he's massively underrated i i i feel like he's incredibly underrated by not just the not just the the fans but the promotion as well um he's incredible like um i know a lot of people are like also i remember hearing when he beat cejudo or when he was about to fight cejudo people were like oh cejudo's gonna expose him and if he wins oh well i mean he fought a one-armed Dillashaw who shouldn't have beat Sanhagen, and now he's fighting a, uh, you know, uh, now he's fighting a uh, Henry Cejudo whose head has gained 20 pounds since he last fought in the octagon. Ooh. But nah, I mean, like, I, I think he's incredibly underrated, and I feel like it's it's the hate is gone. Um, now it's indifference, and it's almost like a real f fresh slate. Uh, and if he wins this fight, I think he's actually going to gain a lot of fans, personally. I'm a little bit skeptical in that regard, though. I think that a lot of people sort of... It, it, look, it can happen. And it has yeah. happened to certain fights. But I think a lot of people put weight on the idea of, I shot Jesse James, so that makes me Jesse James. I think it can happen <laughs> in some cases. Like, Khabib got that from Connor. Uh, Dustin got that from beating Connor. I think Dustin especially got a massive boost in popularity. I don't think it's going to be that case with Sean O'Malley. But then again, I don't think I'm the kind of fan that would take to Sean O'Malley anyway. He's very much the sort of yeah. the TikTok and the Instagram sort of generation. And I'm a washed up POS, so um, what does I, my opinion matter? I, I, I personally just, I don't really understand his fandom it reminds me of like uh, an arrested development when michael sarah was dating that chick Anne, and he'd be like yeah it's my, it's my girlfriend and and jason bateman would go her it's like kind of how i feel like when people go i out sugar show sean o'malley and then they hit their vape i vape too but it's to quit smoking cigarettes not for fashionable reasons 
uh, and uh, they, you know, they hit their little pin, and I just go, him, that guy, the guy who likes like mumble rappers, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's just not, not maybe, maybe I'm too old. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, there's a there's an entire different generation which just I'm not part of. Like I I don't get like the Paul Brothers popularity or like the Island Boys or. Yeah, I don't understand any of that. Uh, I, I've already, I'm already not a guy who goes to raves. I have a lot of friends who love raves and like music like that, and I'm just like, no, nah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna sit at home and listen to uh, the Hollies. How about that? Oh, the Hollies are yeah. class. Oh, I, I I randomly was listening to him today during my smoke break before the show. Long cool woman fantastic. in a black dress, brilliant. Oh my my dream. Even though she'd be taller than me at five nine or <laughs> f- f- five nine, she's not five nine. She's f- f- five nine. Um, but uh, yeah, fantastic band. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I think I also feel like there is a good amount of Sean O'Malley haters out there. Mm. Uh, and uh, it would. People, I think, I feel like that would also really help, you know? Um, I don't know if that would be necessarily a, uh, it might be like a who shot Jesse James moment, but I don't know. The one That's my cousin, actually, Jesse James. Honestly, you said he's in it. Yeah, Jesse James is my cousin. Uh, the, uh, the old outlaw from back in the day, he's in my, he's like a fifth cousin of mine. Like, he's in our family tree. It's kind of funny. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. The one thing that Sean's popularity has done, though, is it's compensated for his claim to a title fight in terms of meritocracy, because that's yeah. the big elephant in the room. Should he be fighting for this title, bearing in mind that his only major win is a match against Piotr Jan, which the majority of the public think he lost? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I've watched that fight a couple times this week. I still think he lost that fight. I think it's a pretty big-time robbery. Uh, he's winning on the feet, and he is hurting Piotr Jan, but he isn't controlling Piotr Jan. I, I, I will say, very funny that Piotr Jan, who had the close second fight with Aljo, and Piotr fans were saying it's all about the damage, and then against Jan, it was mm-hmm. like, it's all about, or against O'Malley, it's all about control now. Uh, I will show, like, hey, I, I thought Aljo won because of the control time. He was controlling the fight. He was clearly winning the fight for me. I think Jan won against O'Malley because of the control time. I thought he was clearly winning the fight with his grappling. Um, that's his only ranked opponent he's a beat. He's beat. Yeah. He was he was getting tuned up by Pedro Munoz with the low kicks. He clearly had no idea what to do against the low kicks. Uh, Holly and Paiva, Huli and Paiva, I, it just isn't on the level. I don't understand like necessarily that pick. I mean, he had the great fight against Kyler Mur- Kyler Murray, but uh, or not Kyler Murray, but Kyler Phillips. Yeah, yeah, great fight. I um, I was just looking through here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and you can post it in the comments if you do, because trust me, everyone does when it comes to uh, these <laughs> preview shows. I think I'm right in saying if you take away Yarn and Munoz, all of Sean O'Malley's opponents are no longer in the UFC, except Cheeto. Except yeah. Cheeto, obviously, but that was obviously yeah. a fight he lost. But that that fight, he, he, you know, O'Malley don't count that, bro. <laughs> so when actually changed his Wikipedia page, then I, made I it like saved. eighteen in law because Cheeto O'Malley wouldn't get wouldn't accept the loss. Yeah, I have that saved in my phone. Uh, <laughs> I I also have uh, rest in peace the late great Kobe Bryant's MMA record when someone added that 
into uh, uh, into uh, Wikipedia because uh, uh, Kobe Bryant got knocked down by this guy uh, in in the NBA one time during a brawl. <laughs> so someone added Kobe Bryant had the MMA fight that <laughs> said he got knocked out in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't know if he necessarily earned it. I thought Corey Sanhagen. I thought you could have done Cheeto Vera. I before their fight, of course. Um, but no, here we are. Uh, here comes the Sugar Show. It's a lot of it is because, like we were saying with Ian Gary, this is a guy the UFC doesn't have to waste their efforts on promoting. You know, they don't want to do their job. They want a guy who does their job for them. Yes, and. Here's the Sugar Show. Here's Sean O'Malley. I mean, I'm of the firm belief that a fighter's job is to make weight, don't do steroids or cheat, and show up to fight and fight and win. That's their job. You know, losing is part of the job too, but, you know, it's better to win, obviously. I don't think promoting is part of their job at all. And uh, yet here we are. So a lot of people online are framing this one as striker versus grappler. Do you think it's as straightforward as that? Kind of, but not really. I mean, um, I feel like that's like, we, we love that cliche. I know you and me talk about how we like that cliche, the striker-grappler matchup. Um, at least I do, for sure. Um, I, I always think those matches are really fun. Um, but in nowadays in MMA, they're a little bit more rare because a, a guy like... Um, you know, Algerman Sterling, he has no problem striking with you. Is he the best at it? No, he's a little hittable. He's a little awkward, and, like, his defense is kind of lacking for me. Um, and uh, he kind of has, like, the Tony Tony Ferguson syndrome, because I feel like those two guys are, like, part of that same coin. It's volume. It's just constant yeah. volume, and that's what overwhelms people in the striking. Oh, yeah. Same thing as, like, Tony back in the day. Tony's throwing wild spinning stuff just constantly kicking you in the stomach, constantly kicking you in the shin, and then throwing, like, long straights at you. This guy, he's spinning at you. He's throwing a ton of punches. He might even throw in a jumping knee in there. He might throw a wild, weird head kick at you. Uh, here's a body kick randomly. Like, he, he just just constant, you know. Um, but he's hittable whenever he's stepping in. And that plays into Sean O'Malley's mm-hmm. strengths. You know, who likes when guys step in on a straight line and, you know, cracks them. Um, he likes it when you're in your 30s, late 30s doing it, mostly. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> um, he does like that. He does like that a lot. Um, at the same time, though, Sean O'Malley, he has, like, some competitive no-gi grappling accolades. They're not great. Like, he just kind of does it. It's like, that's like a common thing. You see, like, guys like Gilbert Melendez... And other guys just go, you know what? I'm grappling today. I'm going to go grapple on Fight Pass. And Sean O'Malley was one of those guys. Um, I don't think he was necessarily doing great at that, though, compared to, like, other guys like Clay Guida. Clay Guida had some success in there, who I think he actually was one of the guys he grappled. But um, he's not on the level of an Algerman Sterling, who is just the man when it comes to being on the mat. One of the great things I've... I was a little bit, like a lot of people, it took me a while to truly appreciate how good Aljamain Sterling was. Because it was just mm. one of those guys, you'd see him on like the prelims of like a, a pay-per-view <coughs> card, you'd be fighting like the Cody Stamets of the world, and bless you. 
that wasn't it was my chair but <laughs> no, i made that face because it was funny i made the face because yeah. i remember I, I always remember if i hope that was your chair and you not farting i, I never farted on camera yet yep. um and then i think it was the second pure yarn fight where i truly realized how good Algerman sterling was and because Piotr Jan was a guy who carried this real sort of mystique around him. Like, because he had, like, this elite-level striking, he could hold his own in the grappling. And then, I think the way that Aljo would sort of, like, chain his takedown attempts. He'd fail at the first one, but he'd keep it going, and then eventually get Jan down. I just thought, God, he's cracked it. He's absolutely cracked it. And kudos to him. And obviously, we've seen him go on to do better things since then. How easy do you think it's going to be for him to take down Sean O'Malley? Because that's where the big, that's the big X and O regarding this fight is can Aljo get the takedown before Sean lands the big power shot? I think it depends on how Aljo wants to play it. Uh, Aljo has been out front open saying, no, I'm going to take him down. I'm going to take him down and beat him up. What's he going to do about it? Nothing. And, uh, but... If Aljo decides to run in that straight line with that crazy input, he's running into a shot, and that could put him out mm. and make me a very sad man. Um, but I think if he goes out there and looks for the takedowns and does it in a smart fashion, I think he can effectively get him down pretty easily and quickly. Um, he has a, like everyone's goes, oh, his takedown percentage is really low. You have to understand, this guy is shooting five takedowns yes. at once at you. Because if he doesn't get the takedown, he still has a hold of you. And he's trying for a, a second one, then a third, and then a fourth, and a fifth. And he got you on the seventh one. Congratulations. Now you have to deal with this guy on top who is doing stuff to, like, like he did to Takeo Mizugaki back in the day. Like, just an incredible grappler, incredible wrestler. Uh, and has he was beating up Henry Cejudo, who was a gold medalist in wrestling on the ground he took him down and was just letting it rip as a pseudo standing back up he's a scary guy to you know get into a wrestling match with and i think it'd be real dumb uh, for him to run in that straight line and do it because i think he can take down um i think the tall lanky guys don't have they don't have like you know unlike a wiley zhang or uh volkanovsky they don't have that low center of gravity to be able to like defend getting taken down and like put lopsided so this is where a guy like Algerman Sterling can really take advantage of, kind of like Piotr Jan. But the difference between them, I think, is Piotr Jan isn't used to having to have control someone on the ground yes. for a very long time. Algerman Sterling isn't going to have that problem controlling somebody like Piotr Jan and or like o a Sean O'Malley. And the other big concern I saw from the Piotr Jan fight for Sean O'Malley, he was giving up his back a lot trying to get to his feet. Now, admittedly, a lot of that would have been due to Sean realizing, hey, Piotr Jan isn't really a big submission threat in that position. Yeah. But if he tries doing that against Aljo, Aljo's one of the best back takers in the sport. Yeah, if not the best, I think. Damian Maya's retired. Yeah. So, but Maya's number one in that regard, but. Of all, all time. He is the human backpack. <laughs> um, but uh, Jan, er, Aljo has to be like in that top three. Um, that's a bad position to be in against a, a guy like Algerman Sterling. On the other side, though, the big concern I have when it comes to Algerman Sterling is Aljo on the whole, I think I'm right in saying Aljo has had a big reach and height advantage over all of his title opponents so far. 
this is the yeah. first time he's going to be facing someone who has that sort of length and reach to cause him problems. So that's something that, if you were Aljo, that would give me a lot of concern as well. Yeah, I think that would that would make me go, or do I even like want to risk standing with the guy for too long? Like, it also would like, it also would suck because your entries into ranges where you feel like you can grapple would be a little bit tougher as well. Oops. Apologies, I had to sneeze. Um, I felt it coming and I was trying to avoid it. Um, but uh, for me, I feel like, oh, that's going to be harder to kind of enter that range in which you feel comfortable changing levels and taking someone down because you were the one always dictating range. Now you have to deal with someone who you are, you're dealing with his range, not vice versa. So that could be a little difficult. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's going to be a really fascinating fight. Um, I put the opinion poll up earlier today. At the moment, the, um, the at the time we're recording this, Aljamain Sterling getting seventy percent of people picking him to win this one. Sean O'Malley coming in at thirty percent. Um, so, which way is this one going to go? Is this McGregor versus Aldo, where the big media UFC project lives up to the hype? Or is this Tyron Woodley versus Darren Till? I think it's Tyron Woodley, Darren Till. I think, I think Jan showed a blueprint of how to consistently take a guy down like O'Malley. And here comes a more aggressive and craftier and I think outright better wrestler and Aljo coming in. Um, another thing that I think is Aljo, he's much better at holding and controlling position and a much better submission threat. I think he's going to get a submission within the first three. But that said, I always like to do this whenever it's kind of that, you know, hey, it can go either way. It's just much more heavily favored in this way. Like Aljo, I think it's much more heavily favored towards Aljo. O'Malley can do some work with Aljo's awkward and defensively lacking, is how I'll put it, striking style. Yeah. I can just picture, and I'm not really a big Sean O'Malley fan, I have to admit this. I can picture a moment where Sean cracks him. I have to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I picture a moment where Sean cracks him, and I call in sick for the recap. For you. <laughs> I might, I might get sick. Who knows? Um. To be fair, I had to do that at times when I um, when I was covering them myself. Um, yeah, because actually at two sixty nine, I was in the hospital because I blew on oh, the wow. ACL. Which is really funny. Uh, yeah, not for me. I was in a lot of pain. I mean, for the reason why. <laughs> oh man, this wonderful sport of ours. Yes, it is the it's the most unpredictable sport, and it's just so topsy turvy. And I think we're going to get mm. that at USC two ninety two. On yeah. the whole, Joe, I have to say I think fairly decent little card. I think we I think we got something good here. I think this card's really good. You know, uh, I mean, it definitely helps that you and me got a, a good amount of time cracking jokes and laughing about it. Um, I think that's usually a sign of a good card. Usually, whenever you and me are like, when they really hate Canada, like it's not a very good card. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think this is this is a pretty good one. I'm actually very excited for this. It's yeah. my turn to pay this time so uh, I'm, I'm not going to be upset about paying this one unless O'Malley wins then I'll be upset uh, I'm a known O'Malley hater openly uh, and I still think he has a chance of winning but, but, but I hate I don't like the man yeah. 
and thank you very much for tuning in for the UFC 292 preview show. As mentioned before, me and Joe have had a lot of fun putting this one together. If you'd like to support us in any way, then you can please do so. Um, at Instagram, we have an It's Not Cage Fighting. You can follow me at Twitter on INCageFighting. We also have a Patreon page, so if you'd like to financially support us, you can do so. Um, also, if you are on the Patreon page, you get the chance to nominate any card in MMA history for Joe to recover as part of his Retro Review series. And speaking of the Retro Review, hopefully, Joe, we will be having a new one on the main channel. Would you like to uh, tell us what it's going to be? Oh, I'm very excited for this one. We get to go to WEC for the first time in Retro Review history. So, I mean, it's not a very long history, but it's an awesome one. And uh, we get to cover UFC 48, where we get to uh, watch a man with an awkward chin get his legs turned purple. It is a haunting experience, and I loved it. Yeah, WEC, in my opinion, one of the best debunk promotions, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I think. I think you. Can, I think there's a legitimate argument for it being better than Pride. I, I'm, I'm not going to pick between those two. It's like picking between which children I love more. I'm not doing this question. Oh, so I'm a I think the argument is uh, The big Luke Thomas Sophie's choice. Is that, is that, is that his? Yeah. I think like, you could it, do one for me. I think you could do like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her, the uh, Ana de Arnimus. Uh, I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world right now as a single man. <laughs> um, I think her and, uh, the, the blonde bomber will even say I, I, I don't I'm not picking between the two uh. <laughs> also on this main channel you'll have done a recap of the um, Luke versus Dos Anjos card so that will hopefully be online right now and in a couple yeah. of weeks and in a couple of weeks time we will have not one but two preview shows coming up we mentioned before we will be covering the Grosso versus Shevchenko fight night to see whether or not it's vengeance or vindication in the women's flyweight division and we'll be back as well for UFC 293. Can Sean Strickland pull off the upset and silence the hometown crowd against Israel Adesanya? That's everything coming up here on INC Live over the next couple of weeks. But now, though, my name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. And we hope to see you again in a few weeks' time. Bye-bye for now.